Man, you guys seem really, really tired. Let's try that again. Good morning. All right, there we are. There's at least I know there's some people that are alive now. Today is an exciting day because today we is the last week of our series, Epic, the story of the Bible. We've been in this series for like eight weeks. I don't know about you guys, but it's been a long one. A good one, but a long one. So um, to recap some things, like there's, there's some things that we really wanted you guys to pull away from this series. And there's a few things that you guys may not have understood or just been kind of over your heads or whatever, but there's three things, three main things that we really wanted you guys to gather from this series. And the first one being the whole main point, the thing that we've talked about every single week for the last eight weeks, and that's on the screen behind me, that the, whole, the main point of the Bible, the, the, the whole thing is about this one theme, about how it's God's plan to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. If you come away from the last eight weeks, this is the ninth week, not understanding that, then I don't know. Like, this is what we've been talking about for like eight weeks. I hope you got that. Um, the second thing, there we go, is context. That when we read the Bible, we have to read the Bible in context. We can't just take certain things and apply it however we want. It's not like reading the phone book when you open it up and you scroll down to a certain name and you look at like someone's phone number. Like, it's meant to be read as a story, as a whole. So you can't just take like one story like say David and Goliath and make it mean something about like purity. Like you just can't correlate things like that together. You have to read the whole Bible inside of a context. And we kind of talked about that a couple of different ways like a paratrooper landing, getting his bearings, um, Jack ripped a book in half one week. Um, just a lot of different ways to talk about context. But that's something that if you haven't heard that in the last eight weeks, Pay attention now. Context is very important when you're reading the Bible. And the last thing, the third thing that we've talked about every week that we've really wanted you guys to, to start to understand is that we can read the Bible through one, through one theme. This is one theme that we can read the Bible through and get a bigger picture of like, what the whole thing's about. And that's the theme of the kingdom. And we've been just defining the kingdom as, I gotta look, God's people, God's place, and God's rule and blessing. So what, we, what we've done for the last eight weeks is we've taken the Bible and we divided it up into about eight different, um, different times when God's kingdom looked a little bit different on the world. So we're going to recap the last seven and then go into the last one today. So just real quick, here we go. Here are the different phases of the kingdoms that we've talked about, and you don't need to write them down if you don't want to. But the pattern of the kingdom... This one's really important for today because, like, this one is kind of mirroring the very last one. The pattern of the kingdom is before sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve, when they were walking in the garden and God was physically there with them and walked with them and communicated them. Um, the perish kingdom, when sin entered into the world, this is Genesis 3, 3 through 11, when sin entered the world and people didn't have a relationship with God, God hadn't revealed himself yet to, to having a certain people, there is no people, there is no God's place. The kingdom just hadn't yet established itself. Um, then we have the promised kingdom, and that's the covenants that God made with Abraham and Moses and Noah. The, the promise that I will, I will pick a people and you will be my people and you will go out and save the world. Um, so the promise like that, 
that kind of gets fulfilled in the next one, we have the, the partial kingdom. And that's because the promises get partially fulfilled by the, the giving of the law. That's like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and that stuff that now God has a code of conduct for his people to live by so that they know what they have to do in order to get to heaven. And if they fail to keep that law, then they had to make a, an animal sacrifice to atone for their sins. So the, the, the promise has been partially fulfilled in the partial kingdom. And then after that, we have the prophesied kingdom. So we kind of take a step back, and then we have all of these different prophets going on, um, Isaiah through Malachi. And they're all just kind of telling Israel, like the God's chosen people, you need to repent. You need to turn back and follow God. This is a time during a lot of rebellion when people were, were not listening to God and not following God. You need to repent and follow God. God is sovereign. God cares about you. God has plans for you. That's kind of the whole point of all of the, the prophets, kind of summed up in a couple of sentences. Um, then we have the present kingdom. Trendon talked about this one. And this is when God begins to set up his kingdom on earth with the coming of Jesus and the establishment of a new covenant through his death and resurrection. So Jesus, like, he comes and he starts teaching all these different, different ways of thinking. It's kind of like backwards thinking. Most people that day and age wouldn't, like, one of the things that Jesus taught was, like, turn your other cheek when someone does something wrong with you. Like, in that day, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you gouge out, if I gouged out your eye, then you could gouge out my eye type of thing. If I knocked out your tooth, you could knock out my tooth. That's the way the law worked. But Jesus was like, no, turn the other cheek. If a, a Roman soldier makes you walk one mile with him in that day, Roman soldiers could could ask anyone to, to go and carry their gear for one mile. Jesus would say, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his gear for a mile, take it too. Go over and beyond. And Jesus just started to create all this reverse thinking. And this is the present kingdom. And then lastly, the, the kingdom that we're in right now is the proclaimed kingdom. And this is after Jesus has died on the cross, a horrible death. He he'd fulfilled all the, law, all the prophecy and he'd fulfilled the promises that have come, and he atoned for all of our sins through his death, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, for the first time, comes and indwells inside of all of the believers. So the proclaimed kingdom is the kingdom we're in right now, where when we accept Christ into our lives, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. And what, what we're getting to right now, which leads us all up to what we're talking about today, which is the perfected kingdom. Now that's the kingdom that hasn't yet come yet, the perfected kingdom. It's something that we're waiting for. This is, this is a message of hope, and to some people, it's a warning. If we have accepted Christ into our lives, then we can have hope in what we're going to hear today about the perfected kingdom. But if we haven't accepted Christ, then I think we need to view this as a warning of what happens if we don't. God's talking about um, just, just what the world's going to look like in eternity, because right now, this world, this is, this is, it's going to waste away. It's going to die. The way that we're living, our governments, all that kind of stuff, it's not forever. But God is, and God wants to establish his eternal, his eternal plan. And he's did that um, by showing us this so that we could have hope in a future, so we can know what's coming. Sometimes, like, the turmoils of this world, like, are really, are really hard. Sometimes, like, I know our boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with us, or... Our dads, our parents lose their jobs. Something happens, and it's just really hard, and we don't know how to get through it. But the thing that can keep us, that keeps us going, the thing that gives us hope, 
is the fact that we know that this world is not forever, that we have a better place that we can go to. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15, and we're going to start getting a picture of this thing that God has planned for us, something that's going to be prepared for us. And if you don't have your Bible, that's fine. I'm going to have the words up on the screen. But this is, just know that this first section is a little bit depressing, and then it gets better from there. So we're going to, we're going to start with the bad news and then go to the good news. So don't get too freaked out on me. But here we go. Um, Revelation 20, 11 through 15 says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. That's God. God sitting on this great white throne. It's kind of creating a courtroom, a courtroom scene. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for him. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each were judged according to, according to what he had done. And each person was judged according to... I'm sorry. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Man, that's some heavy stuff. So on the surface, when you're reading this, it looks like, you know what, if... If your name is not in the book of life, you're going to be forced to suffer the second death. And that's what it's talking about. Um, but the, the, the crazy thing is, like, heaven, that when the, the great white throne of judgment comes and God's there, the earth and the sky, like, they're going to flee from the presence of the glory of God. All of the dead, everyone that's ever lived in life will stand before God individually. There's two things that we can notice coming out of this passage, that everyone's going to stand before God. And everyone's going to be judged according to what he or she had done. We're not judged for the things that our fathers did. We're not judged for the things that our mothers did, our brothers or sisters. We're judged for our own decisions and where we choose to, to place our faith. The second thing that we can notice is this, that whereas we have the choice to spend eternity with God or eternity in a fire lake. Now, like, don't get so caught up in the imagery of the spire lake. Like, a lot of people, when they read this, be like, oh, it's exactly what it says. It's the giant lake of fire that you're forced to burn in for all of eternity. That could be true. We don't really know. Like, John is, is the author of this book of Revelation, and he's just, he's writing this. This is a warning sign to us. It's more of a warning than what it actually is. Like, some people will say that that a lake of fire is, is the worst torment that John could think of, the only way that he could describe the things that he experienced when God showed him these things. Um, some people would say that, that the, the torment that's going on is being able to see God's presence, but not being able to partake in it, being separated from God, and just being tormented eternally by being separated from our Creator for all of time. That's another way to look at it. There's a lot of different ways but what's really important in this section is that we realize that this is a warning to whoever who has not accepted Christ into their lives. That the eternal fire, like the second death, is something that's coming and it's proclaimed. But with that being said, like, it doesn't end there. It gets better from there. So we have this choice to accept Christ or to not accept Christ. And if you keep reading in this passage, it goes to chapter 21, 
Um, and then we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. This is the part that I read this in, like, you know, you read about the second death and all that kind of stuff, and it gets really depressing. And like, like, but what about, like, the God of mercy and the God of grace and, like, what's, what's going to happen to the rest of us? So in this section, like, it kind of, it turns a corner and talks about what happens to the people that have placed their faith in Christ. So here it is. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So this is God talking to John. John's like having this dream, this vision of, of what the new creation is going to be like. Everything that we experience in this world right now is going to be gone. There's not going to be any seat. The whole world is going to be one clump of land. And this city is going to come down from, from heaven, the new Jerusalem, Zion, as some people would call it. And that's where all of the believers are going to live. The doors, the gates of this place are always going to be open. I think that's kind of, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so in the, in the perfected kingdom, um, God physically dwells with his people on earth. God will be living inside of that city, and we will be living inside of that city with God. The Holy Spirit no longer lives inside of us, but we get to see his glory every single day. The, the city has no need for the sun because the city is shining with the glory of God. Like that, when, when I read those, those words and I read that, it's so exciting to me that there's going to be no shame inside of the city. There's going to be no death, no mourning, no pain. This is a new creation. This is what God had intended for, for us from the very beginning. When God created the world, he knew exactly everything that was going to happen. From when Adam and Eve had the choice to eat that fruit, I believe that God knew that he was going to eat that fruit, and that God knew that he was going to have to send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to atone for our sins. And I believe that this is his plan that he had made way back before the beginning of time for us so that we could have a hope and a glory in the future. Because what, what the whole Bible, what, why we were created, why we're here, is ultimately to bring God glory. And if we didn't have the choice to sin, if we didn't have the choice to follow him, then how could we bring God glory? But we can bring God glory by having hope and knowing that he is God, and we can be his people by allowing him to reside inside of us through the Holy Spirit. So the perfected kingdom is, is a time of safety. Um, it talks about, if you keep reading in that passage, it talks about how the gates of New Jerusalem will be left open. How many times when you go to bed at night do you leave your front door of your house open and unlocked? Probably, probably never, right? You probably make sure that door is shut and you lock it because you never know. Like Someone might just come by like, Maybe they want to rob you or like hurt your family or something like that. Like you always lock the front door of your house. Well, leaving the gates of the city open like this is kind of the same thing. Like if you leave city gates open, then anyone can walk into that. Any army could come 
and take over your city. But these gates are left open all the time because there is no fear of any of that kind of stuff. Like, it's just a great picture. Um, th this whole time is a time of worship, that we can just experience God and we worship him um, by giving him glory. And that's really cool. There's, it's a time of happiness. So in the perfected kingdom, we've been, in the last eight weeks, we've kind of talked about stuff like this, how we've, we've talked about how God's fulfilled his kingdom um, through his people, his blessing, and his promise. So God's people is everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then at the end of eternity, the book of life will be opened up, your name will be in it, and you'll be able to expend eternity with God. Period. Like, there's not too much question about that. God's place is the city that he's created, New Jerusalem. If you guys want um, to know more about it, just like read the description about it. Read the rest of Revelation chapter 21 and into chapter 22. It describes in a lot of detail what the city is going to look like, how big it is, um, like the things that all the different gates are made out of, the precious stones and that kind of stuff. God's place is going to be this physical city, and God's rule and blessing is his establishment of his presence on earth. God will reside with us. We can see him. We can talk to him. We can ask him questions. There's going to be no more confusion about, like, is this right? Is this wrong? None of that kind of stuff. God will be there, and we will be able to give him worship. So every day we have the choice. Every day we have the choice to be obedient to God or to reject, reject him. And know that those choices, whatever you choose to do, has a consequence. Just like if you're at home, and like I know my brother and I, we used to like go to the, the cupboard and we'd open it up and we'd sneak like little Debbie snacks. Like we would like try to sneak really quietly, go in there, grab one, like eat it before our mom found out, like hide the wrappers like deep down in the trash can so our parents wouldn't see like we had it all figured out, right? Well, those choices, they had consequences. If we snuck all the little Debbie snacks, we wouldn't have anything to eat for lunch. That's just the way it was. Um, our choices, if we choose to, to obey God, has a consequence. The consequence is we're going to spend eternity with Christ, eternity with God. If we choose to disobey God, that has a different consequence. We're going to suffer the second death. So that's, that's something to keep in, keep in mind. So... A question that we may be having then is like, well, how do I accept Christ, or what does that mean? Or um, if I'm already accepting Christ, how do I continue to live my life for him? Where if you haven't accepted Christ, then this is a great verse right here, um, that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Christ is Lord and that God raised him up three days afterwards, then you'll be saved. I kind of paraphrased it. But you can read it behind me. This is... Ultimately, all that it is. It's a pretty easy sentence, but the implications of what's being said here are pretty powerful. If you confess with your mouth, so you have to physically say that, Christ, you are my Lord, and you, you died and rose again so that I could be saved, so that you could, you took my sins upon yourself. You have to, you have to confess with your mouth, and you have to believe in your heart. Now, believing, that's something that only you know. That's not something that, you, like, I don't know. Like, Jack and I are pretty good friends. And, like, I trust that Jack believes in Christ. 
but there's no way that I will ever know for sure. Like, I've seen, I've seen lots of signs of it, so I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure, right, Jack? Jack would say he is, yeah, see? But I can never actually, like, be 100% certain. The thing that I can know is that I have put my faith in Christ. I had a, I had a really good friend when I was in high school that I believed 100% was a Christian, and then he walked away. He says, like, God's not real. He doesn't exist. Just left the church. We can never really know about other people. But we can know about ourselves, and we can know that God is real, and we can place our faith in him. And that's what it is, is believing in our hearts. Now, when we believe in our hearts, there's things that are going to happen. God will change our lives, and he's going to change the things that we want to do. There's going to be actions that show our beliefs. If you're living your life saying that you believe in God, and there's no actions behind what you say that you believe, then I'm really going to question that. But when, when you start living your life for God, it's a life of love, a life of grace, a life of mercy. And those signs, those things start coming out in the way that you live your life. So what I want us to do and what I'd really love is if you've never accepted Christ into your life and it's something that you've been thinking about, something that you've been wanting to do, um, when we go to life groups, I want you to talk to your life group leader about it, to, to ask them what does it mean or what does it look like or anything like that, any types of questions you have about it. But if you have been, if you have accepted Christ in your life, then I think the second question is very important for us. How am I displaying Christ's love to those around me? Or kind of going off of the theme of the fall retreat, if you guys can remember that because it was forever ago. How am I being the light of my world? How am I lighting up the world around me with God's glory, with, with Christ's love? So you guys are dismissed.